Somebody in power asked me to just give you a little bit of an update on, on my transition from going from elder to minister. And elder is a, is a term that, is, that we use to describe someone who has responsibility for a local congregation. And so on the east side is a local congregation. And minister is someone who has regional responsibilities. And so I'm, I'm just continuing to take steps towards that. And uh, one of the beauties of that is that, uh, that I get to see work that's happening all over the United States, all over North America, really all over the world in Soma churches. And, and that, that transition has been exciting. Uh, transition, as uh, far as being focused on local to regional, is also uh, sometimes a little bumpy. And this has been a, a bumpy week. But uh, one of the great things about uh, praising God and working uh, for God and understanding that you are his adopted child is, is that we can take these bumpy weeks and we can see God moving in them. And in a sense, the security that God gives us as his adopted kids is when we have these bumpy weeks, we can treat it more like a roller coaster than a trial, you know? You're just like both hands up saying we. This was definitely a both hands up saying we. And I grew up doing a lot of, um, a lot of river rafting. And in river rafting, the bumps are the fun part. As a matter of fact, occasionally my youth group would take these float trips on the Columbia River. I don't know if you realize that the Columbia River has a lot of dams on it, so it's just really slow. And if it goes slow, you, just, you start making up stuff to do and, and trying to make bumps. So you might as well just enjoy the bumps, enjoy the ride, put both hands up, and say we. Uh, that's, that's where I'm at this week. If you want more details, that's, that's too bad. Right now, that's just between uh, me, God, and a couple select of you. But, uh, but as I make this transition, I also have the joy of becoming a guest speaker. And what that means is, usually when someone come, has, in the past, when someone's come to Soma and they've heard me say something outrageous, and it happens, it'll probably happen this week. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen because it's in my notes. But when I say something outrageous, people just have to apologize and say, sorry, that's our, that's one of our, that's our lead elder. He says outrageous stuff, and, and we're just going to recommend some other churches that might be a better fit to you. <laughs> uh, but, but today, today uh, the elders just get to say, yeah, that was outrageous, but he's a guest speaker, and, and we're not sure we're going to invite him back. So. so there you go. Hope that was an effective introduction. We have been going through a sermon series on Romans chapter 4. Roman, on Romans, today we're in chapter 4. And we, uh, maybe some weeks as we go through this, you, you think to yourself, this is a large section of Scripture, but really it's, we are taking Paul's sermon that we have recorded as Romans, as the letter to Romans, and we are breaking it up into small pieces. And that's an acceptable thing to do in church history. Sometimes in church history, the preachers you know, focus on, on half of verses. Sometimes they go longer periods. But this is an acceptable thing to do. But I want you to remember that this letter was meant to be read from start to finish in a setting. So don't miss that. It is beautiful to have these apps that, uh, that generously suggest every day you read a, a verse that's a good thing. But remember that the Bible is a, is, a, is a series of books. In many ways, it's an encyclopedia. 
and it is, uh, but it is meant to be read at length. And so if you haven't read the book of Romans from start to finish, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to take your Bible or take your, your phone and put it on airplane mode and sit there and maybe bring a, a glass of wine and some bread, maybe, uh, maybe go to a spot that's beautiful like on a hilltop or someplace that it can just be you and God and read through it. Read and reflect, maybe take some notes in a journal, maybe met, stop and meditate. But this, this is... When you read the book of Romans, you get, this, you get to understand what it was like to hear Paul preach a sermon from start to finish. Because I believe this is what his stock sermon was. Because Paul hadn't been to the city of Rome. Someone else had planted that church. Maybe it was Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe it was Ananias and Junia. Maybe it was someone else. We're not exactly sure. But Paul hadn't been there and he wanted them to hear the message that he preached from one side of the Mediterranean to the other, and so he sent them this letter. But we're going to break down this section here of Romans chapter 4, and I want you to, to remind you that the Bible is, these, these letters in the Bible, they're in some ways self-contained, but they're also linked to all sorts of different places in Scripture. You can think of Scripture being a hyperlink document, an internet document that you click on and it takes you another place, another place, another place. And this place that Paul is going to take us today, the Apostle Paul is going to take us today, is talking about Abraham. So we're going back to the beginning, going back to Genesis. And Paul's going to explain part of it. I'm going to tell a somewhat controversial, imaginative story about Abram or Abraham. But our hopes is that you understand what this idea of faith is, which is one of these beautiful, powerful, expansive words, which also means it's easy to misinterpret. So, faith. Faith 2023, the reason I titled this message this is because, well, this was the sixth title this week, but, uh, but I just wanted you to see that this is something that I want for us to, I want for it to possibly change your life this morning. I want it to be relevant. I want it to be applicable. So let's talk about this, this word faith in light of what God has for us this year. So Romans chapter 4. I'm going to split it up, talk a little bit about it. I'll read a passage, make a point, read a passage, make a point, and then at the end we will have some implications of this. But Here we are. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Let me read that again. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Say that with me. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
Now, Abram used to be called, Abraham used to be called Abram. So I'm just going to hyperlink us back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. We don't know what Abraham's doing. We don't know what Abraham is like. It starts off, Genesis chapter 12, saying, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Remarkable book, isn't it? Now, you and I, could, we, could, we could take this passage in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, and we go to uh, a museum in Israel, and we could take a scroll written right to left, Hebrew script, and you could read the words I just read to you. And we can date that scroll to between 250 to 150 B.C., which means it was written at the time where Rome was still fighting Carthage over their slice of the Mediterranean Sea. That promise is ancient. It is 4,000 years old, and it is indisputable. Here we are in the New Money suburbs of Seattle talking about Abram. God said, you're going to be famous. And there is few people on earth more famous than Abram. If you are Muslim, you revere him. If you are Jewish, you revere him. If you are Christian, you, are, you revere him. If you are a scholar, you're trying to figure out how some Bedouin nomad who doesn't know how to treat his wife is still being talked about in 2023. God said, Abram, you're going to be famous. You're going to be famous. You're going to be infamous. You're going to be beyond famous. You're going to be known. But before all that happens, I want you to take a step of faith and leave your country, leave your family, and I want you to pick up your portable wealth, and I want you to go. Faith is, and here's point one, faith is believing God's promises, and believing God's promises changes our path. This is such a consequential sermon that people are coming forward down the aisle already (laughs) to repent. I love this. Nobody noticed Bethany. Nobody knows. Nobody knows it's your child. It's okay. It's okay. Faith is believing God's promises, and believing God's promises changes our path. Do you believe God's promises? If you do, your path is changed. I don't listen to a lot of hip-hop or rap, but there... I know. I know. Thank you, Deaconess. Appreciate that. Um, But there is a a beautiful line in in an early Lecrae song about how there are all all these churches around him, but he doesn't know what to think of them because the block hasn't changed. 
And it's the same thing here. I mean, one of, the, one of these great misconceptions about this word faith is it's just something, that, yeah, just something you assent to, that you accept and say, yeah, that's true. But the truth is, you don't believe it's true if it hasn't changed your path, if it hasn't changed your direction. It hasn't changed what you are leaving behind and what you are striving toward. That doesn't mean you work for it. Paul makes that super clear. But faith changes you. Changes you. And in some ways, I mean, faith is a relationship. It's a, it's a series of, of events that, that illustrates our trust in God, but it it's good to remember that God doesn't change, but he also doesn't stand still. If you think about the way the, the Bible describes God, he is one who never changes. There's no, there's no shadow of turning in him, but he is also the one who pursues. He is the one who leaves the 99 and finds the one who has wandered off. The Holy Spirit is often described as a rushing wind. God doesn't change, but he doesn't stand still. So faith is believing God's promises, and believing God's promises changes our path. And we see this with Abram. And I want you to imagine with me, if you can, Abram. He's back in Ur. He's back in that kind of that Sumerian kingdom there at the bottom of the, of the Fertile Crescent. And we're going to imagine with archaeological precision. So I am going to imagine Abram in a tent. And his friend comes by. And he, you know, his friend's calling out Abram. And Abram comes out of the tent. And he invites his friend in. And they sit there and they drink a beer because that's what they did in Ur. Up to 40% of Ur Wheat was used for beer production. Don't tell me how I know that. It's just, it's somebody studied it. So they're they're drinking a beer and they're smoking something. How do I know that? Because somebody studied that. So they're sitting there on a pillow in a really nice tent. We're not talking REI. We're talking yurt. We're talking luxury yurt. You tracking with me? If you're new, I'm sorry. Guy and and tree tent pillow beer smoking something and they're talking. The guy and and Abram's eyes are a little bit big. He's like, man, you have no idea what happened to me this week. And he's like, his friend says, what happened? Well, God spoke to me. Oh, God spoke to you. What did he say? He said, well, he said to leave all this and go to a land that he has promised. What do you think of that? And his friend says. Abram, you're high. (laughs) Two, you don't believe it. And let's go race camels. Let me let's imagine this again. (laughs) You guys if you get to see your face on occasion, you're like, where is this going? A little worried about this. Okay. I know. I just said that Abram smoked stuff and drank stuff, and and it's not important. Second imagining. This same friend comes into where he knows Abram is camped, and there is utter chaos. There are people packing things up, 
There are people yelling at each other. They are taking everything they've got. The, the, the tents are being folded up. Sarai's running around. She's clearly not pleased that they're moving. But she is ordering servants around. And Abram is going three directions at once. Just like, you know, you guys, when you move your house, and you're telling you, move that, move that, move that. And then you're yelling at Abram. And, and the first time he doesn't hear you. And the second time he doesn't hear you. And the third time he finally makes eye contact with you, and his eyes get really big, and he's like, whoa. And then he yells, hey, Lot, take care of this, this, and this, and then he just takes you aside. And he says, guess what? And you're like, what? Well, God spoke to me. What do you mean God spoke to me? Yeah, he spoke to me. He said, well, what does it sound like? When God speaks to you, he says, well, it's kind of hard to describe. It's like a mighty rushing wind, and it's like a really small whisper all at the same time. But if I could describe it to you, it wouldn't be God. But God told me to pick up everything I've got and to leave this place, to leave my family, to leave all of my connections, to leave all that's comfortable with me, to leave all this beer and smoking stuff, and you can have it, and I'm supposed to go to somewhere else. And he says, wow. Wow. And then Abram looks at him and says, hey, you want to come? And he says, seriously? He's like, yeah, you know, when God tells you something, you go. Faith is believing God's promises, and it changes your path. The Apostle Paul, as he's going through this description of faith, now shifts to David. David, the man after God's own heart, right? David, the ideal king. He is the George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and depending on your political persuasion, Franklin D. Roosevelt or Ronald Reagan, all merged into one. He is David. But Paul takes an interesting look at David He's continuing on this argument. He says, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith. Their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sins are put out of sight. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So the second point is that faith is believing God's promises and believing God restores us. Faith is believing God's promises and believing that God restores us. And knowing what I know about Abraham, about Abram who becomes Abraham, I know that Abraham had some issues. 
He is not someone that I'm going to point to husbands and say, be like Abraham. But David, David murdered people. And the most notorious example was when he was out on a out on the, on the ceiling, and he looks out, and there is a naked woman taking a bath with insight. And because he's the king, because he has power, he then sends somebody to retrieve her. He comes back. They did what men and women do in that circumstance. She becomes pregnant. And because that is embarrassing to have the results of your sin broadcast in front of everybody, he decides to invite her husband back from the battlefield. Her husband will not go in and have relations with her because he is honorable. And his soldiers are suffering, so he's not coming home for a party. And because of that, David has the army, during a key point in the battle, just withdraw from where Uriah is at. In Uriah's last moments, my guess were frustration and maybe some anger as he is completely overrun and killed. And my guess is as Uriah's commanding officer, David would have felt the weight of that, that his pursuit of pleasure resulted in the murder of one of his best and most honorable soldiers. And so he carries this weight until the prophet of God comes in and points out that he is guilty of this sin. And my guess is that confrontation would have been a mix of terror and probably a little bit of relief because when you carry guilt, it completely rots your soul. And then he goes finally to God. He stops running, he stops hiding, and he goes on his knees and he says, God, forgive me. Forgive what I've done to you. Forgive me for, what I've, for this murder that I've committed. You, you made me strong so I could protect others, and I used that strength to take what I wanted and destroy others. Forgive me. And what does God say to David? I forgive you. Was that deserved? No. But that is the type of God that we serve. What joy it is. What joy it is. I think in some ways we miss this because we we don't realize the, the penalty of our sin. We are a people. We are a people who minimize sin. I was trying to think of ways to to convey this. If you hurt somebody that I love, we have a problem. Uh, There have been people in the past that have threatened my wife's safety, and I have gone fairly berserk. You could ask Catherine about it. There's this whole episode on a softball field where someone runs her over, and I I, I physically have to be restrained. But it's just, you guys relate, right? Someone messages with your wife, it's okay to... To lose your cool. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay. When we sin, we hurt others. God loves each one of us. So when we hurt someone who God loves, we should expect that God is not pleased. It is easy for us to look at something like Ukraine right now. 
as the nation of Russia murders our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and say that is wrong and that's got to stop. But we just have to understand that God, any time one of his children is hurt, it hurts him. And that is through small things, and that is through big things. That is through short-term things, and that is through things that will eventually lead to our whole society's collapse. And because God is outside time, he can see all that, and it wounds him, it makes him mourn, and it, because he is righteous, it makes him want to fix that and to correct that and to reward those who love and protect and to punish those who destroy. And since we all hurt people that God loves, it is right for us to go and to say, God, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And Paul just, in this beautiful argument, he just says, you know, God forgives. When we turn from a place of unbelief to belief, when we turn from a place where we're just going to do our own thing, no matter who it hurts, to a place of, God, I will serve you with all I have, he just says, okay. And he counts us to us, he counts that as righteousness for us, just like he did with Abraham, just like he did with joy because we realize that we cannot unfix what we have broken. But God can fix it for us. And what joy it is when we finally realize that God completely forgives us for what we've done. And we do not have to pay for what we've done. This last part of Paul's argument is a long segment. I'm just going to finish, I'm going to finish chapter 4 here in a second. And Paul is simply going to explain a couple things about being Jewish. Paul is going to explain the marking or the cut that every Jewish male receives when he is born or when he converts. And of course, this cut or this mark is in a very private spot for males. And it's an interesting thing. Um, I don't know if you, how much you know male culture. Um, sometimes really extreme things become a point of pride. And this has happened with the Jewish people. But Paul is going to point out, Paul gets it, Paul's Jewish, but he's also going to remind him that what really matters is a right relationship that comes through faith. So Romans 4, verse 9, here I'm just going to finish the chapter. Now this is the bless, Now is this blessing, this blessing of being forgiven through faith, is this blessing only for the Jews? Or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteousness as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham also already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of all those who have faith but who have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before 
Clearly, God promises to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and that promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So, the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God would also count as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So the last point is simply that faith is believing God's promises, but these promises are not just for us. Not just for us. They're actually for your worst enemy. They're for your political opponents. They're for your neighbors that you can't stand. They're for your coworkers that drive you crazy. They're for even for the people that abuse you and don't understand you, and don't care for you. It would be really difficult to overestimate and overstate the difference between a Jew and a Gentile in the first century. I think so much of this is lost on us. And so I won't explain it in, a great, in great detail. But these societies were so, these cultures were so different. They were oil and water. They were, were opposite ends of magnets. They were fire and uh, fire and ice. No, I just, I was honestly had, had an immediate flashback to camping and that one year at camp where we just tried to, to see which things in the cabin were the most flammable. And the most flammable thing was deep woods off and fire. Maybe distraction. That's why I didn't say it until you, you helped, tried to help me out. I don't blame you, Nick. All that to say, these are, these are incredibly opposite cultures. Think about that. Meditate on that. Jesus didn't just come to save us. Jesus came to save all of us. Through faith. What are the implications for that? Implications for this. I will say this that believing in God is walking with God. God invites us to believe His testimony, 
And believing in his testimony means that we leave the world behind us. Just want to, I'm going to hyperlink just over to First John, because John, I think, makes this point beautifully. And I'll, I'll just say this, I'll summarize this passage here, First John chapter 5, I'll just use the 10th verse. John writes, all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. The testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who don't believe it are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is a harsh truth. I don't know how many people would just regularly say, I believe God is a liar. But he has testified to the whole world that Jesus Christ is his Son, and he is the Son of God, and he is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to salvation. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes the Father but by me. It is, in our pluralistic world, that is offensive, but it is also the absolute truth. Otherwise, why would you need to have Jesus on a cross if you could do it any other way? And John says, if you don't believe that, you're basically calling God a liar. The same God who sent the the dove down to rest on Jesus at his baptism and said, this is my son, listen to him. The same God who promised over and over and over again in the Old Testament, the Messiah will come, and then he sent the Messiah. So we, he, we, we are invited to believe the testimony, and I invite you this morning to believe that testimony, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is the only way to salvation. And if you believe that, Brother, sister, your life will change. And if you don't believe it, your life won't change. But your life will be markedly different than the world around you. Paul later summarizes. He says, John, book of John, 1 John, summarizes as saying, you can't love both the Father and this world. The Father promises life. The world offers physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride and achievements and possessions. And John says this, and I believe this, and I believe that you believe this, that the world is fading away. Our stuff rusts. Our physical pleasures eventually enslave us. Amen? Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Used to be fun, now I can't stop. And our achievements just go, right? How many of you still have just proudly on your shelf? Maybe at work, that participation trophy from fourth grade. <laughs> and honestly, I know people at the highest level of achievement in this country that consider their greatest work achievements to be just about as good as that plastic trophy that has your name spelled wrong. 
Believe in God's testimony and leave the world behind. Don't wait. Don't call a friend over and discuss it in your tent. Pack your stuff up and go. I love Abraham. Abraham's an absolute mess. But man, God gives him instructions. He's like, okay, I'm getting up at five tomorrow and we're doing it. And he does. In that regard, in that very limited regard, brothers and sisters, let's be like Abraham. <laughs> Second implication, just encourage you to embrace forgiveness. Forgiveness with is, do not understand this. What we've replaced forgiveness with is one of two terrible things. One is shame. One is pride. Embrace forgiveness. Shame says, I am less than I should be. Pride says, I am, a, I am amazing. That's called being a narcissist. Narcissist. Embrace forgiveness. God knows exactly who you are and what you've done. And God, more importantly, knows exactly who Jesus is and what he did. Embrace that. Let that shame go. Let that pride go. Third, learn your part in his mission. You know, Abraham got this incredibly painful, I'm sure just heart-wrenching instruction to leave everything he had to go be a part of, of God's mission. And you and I, we all benefit from it. Because one of his ancestors was named Jesus. That's how he blessed the whole world through Abraham. My guess is that God is calling each and every one of you to leave the world behind and go and pursue others that need you. The reason that I am here is someone named Pete Slusher left paradise called Cleveland, Ohio, and came to the Tri-Cities to tell me about Jesus. And I know that God has asked me to, to leave my house and go across the street to my neighbors and tell them about Jesus. And there's many weeks where they are here with me, and it is beautiful and joyful. I want that for all of you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for Abraham. Thank you for Abram. God, what amazing thing. It must have been to hear you speak and for him to go and not even know that you, where you were sending him, but that you would lead him. And there, there at the end of that journey, he was there in, in Canaan, but nobody calls it Canaan anymore. They call it the promised land. So, Father, we, just, we, we admit being awed by that faith and we would ask that you would give us that faith that when you ask us to do something we wouldn't dilly dally but that we would go so father i ask that would we would soma Eastside be a people that go and father I also ask for your help as we embrace forgiveness father we we have a hard time understanding the depth of our sin and conversely, we have a hard time understanding the depth of your love. Would you enlighten us? Father, if there's someone here today that's just struggling with guilt, with shame, or with pride, would you tell them right now, through the power of your spirit, just through that still, small voice, that they are completely forgiven? Father, lastly, I just ask that you would help us to understand our part in the mission. Some of us, that means opening up their home. Some of us, that means learning how to tell our story with you as the hero. 
For some of you, that's just giving all of us just a, a seed of courage. And Father, help us not to just tell that message to people that we love. Help us figure out how to tell it to people that we don't love, that we don't like, that we might even admit that we hate. Because that's what you did with us. While we were still enemies, you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you, Father, for that. Pray these things in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. Amen. We're going to go now to transition to a time of response. And I just encourage you to take a moment. If, if there's anything that God has spoken to you about, I encourage you to respond. Uh, this, is, this is January. And what that means for a lot of uh, Americans is we, we have something they call dry January. And uh, th- th- this has a point to it. Um, and I've been reading people that are doing dry January that it's really good if they find a buddy to do it with so they can actually, you know, fulfill their commitment. Because all of us, many of us have willpower that's, that's underpowered. That's the same with our commitment to God. I think it's meant to be done in community. So if God has spoken to you this morning about something, about a commi- commitment you need to make, about a direction you need to go, I encourage you to tell somebody. I'm here in the second row. I'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, there's other elders around, like Nick, Tom, Warren, should you? We'd love to pray with you, but you could also talk to your missional community. You could talk to someone who invited you. I just would love for you to do that together as you respond. But So I encourage you, not don't, if God has spoken to you, don't resist that. Welcome it. It's for your good. After you've had time to evaluate what God's telling to you, I encourage you to, to come forward. There's a place to give. As we give towards the mission, it is a beautiful use of our money. I invite you to do that. We also have a piece. We have bread broken here. We have wine here. The bread represents the body of Jesus broken for you. The wine represents his blood shed for you. Just take a moment to pray and remember that. Encourage you also to sing out. It's beautiful to hear all of us sing together. Let's sing out loud this morning in response to what Jesus has done for us. He is worthy of our praise. So glad you're with us this morning.